You're listening to Storytime for Travellers, where adventurers share their craziest travel moments. Welcome back to the podcast. It's episode number three. And in this one, I'm chatting to Henry Crew. Now, Henry has literally just one month ago returned from a year-long adventure where he got the Guinness World Record for being the youngest person in the world to circumnavigate the globe by motorcycle. At only 23 years old, he's travelled 55,000 miles in 363 days on his Dugatti Scrambler, all to raise money for the men's mental health charity Movember. Having suffered from depression himself and lost friends to suicide, Henry wanted to raise awareness of the issues that affect many men, and he's already raised about £10,000 and counting, as well as growing a very impressive moustache. You'll know why that's relevant if you read more about the charity. Now, Henry didn't actually pick up a bike until he was 19, but he hasn't stopped riding since. And despite never really having travelled much outside of Europe before, he decided to set out on this epic adventure and see if he could smash the record previously held by motorcyclist Kane Avellano, who was 24 when he completed the journey. But now it's official. Henry has taken the crown and collected many stories along the way. In our conversation, we chat going blind for two hours in the Himalayas, riding away from police in Honduras and staying in a prison in Pakistan, plus loads more. Enjoy. So I'm joined on the podcast today by the lovely Henry Crew. Now, Henry, you've just come back from the most epic adventure, so I'm sure you've got some amazing stories to tell us. Yeah, just a couple. Um, It was a long one, so I was gone for just over a year. So there's hundreds and hundreds of stories and hundreds of memories that I'm still kind of remembering and processing. It's the first time I've been back in the normal world for a long time. Yeah, it's sometimes hard to kind of process everything that's happened, but your trip sounds amazing. So I was wondering if you could tell us about kind of a surreal experience that you had while you were away. I'd say that get, arriving in Singapore was quite a surreal experience for me. Um, having left England about six months before and ridden there by motorbike um, and reaching the most southern point of Asia, um, of mainland Asian continent, having only ridden there on a motorbike. Um, So that was a really surreal point getting there. There's like a big monument. Um, But there's been hundreds of, the whole thing was surreal, to be honest. Um, Yes, it's crazy to wind up in these places having just ridden there and meet all these crazy people. Yeah, that must have felt like such an accomplishment, kind of getting there and being like, wow, I did this, I rode here. Um, Now, you mentioned meeting loads of crazy amazing people um so i know you've i've heard you talking on other interviews about how this trip taught you the importance of like asking for help in terms of both mental health and at different times in your trip so can you tell us about a time that you that someone helped you along the way yeah there's um there's been countless times but there's a couple that really stand out um actually there's probably three examples which are um 
kind of mind blowing to me. Um, so the the first one that happened was I got a, a puncture in Kazakhstan and I managed to fix it, uh, but it was still leaking and the tire had kind of, there's wires inside of the tire that help it keep its shape and they'd snapped. Yeah. So when I was riding along, it was basically like just bouncing up and down the whole time. And I got into this town and I was like, I, I need to get a new tire and I'm in the middle of nowhere. Um, and there was this town and what looked like a mechanics, it had a motorcycle parked outside. So that was kind of enough for me to go there and ask them if they could help me. And it turned out it wasn't a mechanics. It was like a fabrication shop for metalwork. Uh, but one of the guys spoke English and he drove me around the whole town to every shop that he knew that sold tires to see if they had one that would fit my bike. Wow. Um, they didn't have one. So I called up a friend in the south of Kazakhstan and he flew one out overnight. And the random guy that I met um, in this little town, got up at 4 a.m., drove to the airport for 5 a.m. to collect my tire, and then came and picked me up in the morning and took me to a workshop so I could fit it. Wow. And just like a complete chance encounter um, with a total stranger. Um, I had other place, uh, other points in Chile uh, where I needed to lift my bike into the back of a complete stranger's um pickup truck and like four local people would just help me lift it in there and then that person would drive me for like an hour until I could get to somewhere where I could repair my bike um, and then other ones when I was in America I got to New Orleans and I had um, a lot of parts I needed to replace on the bike and it took well originally I was going to be there three days then um, the parts got delayed and they said it was going to be another two weeks and it turned out to be about three and a half weeks and the whole time, this uh, guy called Steve let me stay with him for three and a half weeks wow. in his apartment <laughs> in New Orleans. So generous. So, yeah, it's just crazy. Um, and I I came from being really pessimistic in, in London and um, thinking that a lot of people are just, just out for themselves or it's just so far in their own lane with blinkers on that they can't actually... Um, they just don't even notice that people need help or that they can help people. So, yeah, this year would, had been really eye-opening and changed my perception on humanity and improved my ability to ask for help um, in all circumstances, really. Yeah, that's a great point. And I was actually going to ask you about kind of moments that changed your perspective. But it is that thing that people are genuinely so lovely <laughs> and they're so willing to help and you kind of have to traveling lets you open yourself up to that which is that's why I find it so amazing now yeah. I don't want to turn us on to a negative note but I wanted to ask you about particularly challenging moments in your trip so obviously I mean you were away for a whole year and it was a massive challenge that you undertook mm -hmm. so were there any moments that stand out that were quite difficult yeah, I mean, I, I took one day in India, in northeast India, and there was about 120 miles between these two towns and nothing in between. Um, so I, I don't know, 120 miles, put it into the GPS. It says it's going to take like five, six hours maybe. I thought, oh, that's quite a lot. And then the monsoon rain started and it took me 16 hours to ride that 120 miles. And I was literally covered in mud um, from head to toe. My bike was brown um, and it was just riding through inches of mud the whole day. Oh my so that gosh. was really like 
strenuous, really tiring, mentally and physically, um, and not really having anything to eat um, made it made it even worse. Not having much sleep made it made it even worse. Because um, at that point in India, I had to get up at 3 a.m. every day in order to get enough sunlight to get to where I needed to be at the end of the day. Um, because you just couldn't trust any kind of estimate. I mean, 120 miles could take you a couple of hours or it could take you 16 hours, like I found out on that day. Um, and then that kind of carried on. And monsoon season uh, washed away a lot of bridges and roads in Myanmar as well. So I was riding through water. Um, a lot of the time. Um, yeah, that's probably the most strenuous kind of week of the whole trip. But the biggest challenge is probably logistics with a trip like mine um, and just kind of rolling with the punches and being flexible when things don't go right because a lot of the time they do go wrong. And it's if you're kind of fixed on one plan and not at all flexible, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a lot worse than if you can adapt to it. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that sounds like pretty difficult riding conditions and your trip well, it's unique to some of the people that I've spoken to for this podcast because it was on a motorbike. Um, so were there any other kind of difficult riding conditions that you had to undertake? Yeah, I've literally gone through everything. So um, I rode the three highest roads in the world in the Himalayas. Um, so at that point, you don't have enough oxygen for the engine to run properly. Um, so you're, the bike runs really badly. Um, I rode um, tons of off-road. I rode in 52 degrees Celsius heat in Iran and Pakistan, oh minus gosh. seven in, in America and snow in America, um, deserts and water crossings and mountain passes and all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, bit different from all the kind of motorways and stuff in the UK. Yeah. And when you were in the Himalayas, did the altitude affect you when you were riding? Because I know like when you're hiking, it's so hard to kind of breathe. But what about being yeah, on a motorbike? I, I felt a bit queasy when I was riding and I had a few headaches, but it was actually when I stopped riding. I went blind for about two and a half hours. What? Um, Wait, tell us that story. How did, how did that happen? And were you freaked out? Yeah, um, so I'd been at about 10,000 feet the day before, um, and then we rode up to the second highest road in the world, which is 17,500 feet, um, and then we rode back down to about 14,500 feet, and then we set up camp. Um, kind of short, short of breath and stuff when I was setting up camp, but um, didn't really think anything of it, and went to sleep, and I couldn't, I couldn't really sleep. I was kind of dozing off the whole time. Um, and all of these weird dreams that I was having were about um, breathing. So I was like, it was really strange. Anyway, I woke up in the morning, like gasping for air, um, crawled out of the tent. And I thought it was still nighttime, but um, I couldn't see. Uh, God, yeah, the basically because the blood vessels in your eyes are like the smallest in your body. When you suffocate, they stop working first. Um, so I crawled out of the tent and like found my backpack. And then there was a, a like camelback in there. So I drank a load of water and just sat there and it started coming back and I could see more light and stuff. And then after about two hours, I could see kind of okay, um, got on the bike, and, which was stupid, but oh like God. I had to get to like a lower <laughs> altitude. Yeah. So I got on the bike and like rode down 
and then spent like another hour um, sat there just like drinking some water and eventually it came back it just felt like the worst hangover I ever had oh my, my gosh were you like on your own or were you with, with other people no I was with another guy but he was so deep asleep that like I couldn't wake him <laughs> up <laughs> um, so you were like I've just gone blind and everyone's yeah, asleep <laughs> I'd read up about it before um, so I kind of knew that it would probably be okay and mm. that that was probably what was happening um, so it's like probably more calm than I should have been um, <laughs> but I don't know yeah no, it was interesting really. yeah <laughs> at that point I was like oh it's a proper adventure um, <laughs> I love that that's the real that's the moment that you realized it was an adventure <laughs> yeah that's brilliant um, and this probably is one of these moments but I was gonna ask you about a story that no one believes back home so yeah something crazy that mm. happened to you while you were away there's lots of things that you see that you just you don't get back home. I saw this whole family on a tiny, tiny little moped. So dad was driving and he was on the phone um, while he was driving. Then there was two kids sat behind him and then there was mum sat on the back of the bike carrying a goat. Oh my and God. Like, <laughs> That's yeah, a great you don't image. see that in the UK. Um, all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, yeah. I guess going blind is probably one of them. Because yeah. you come back and people just see you how you are now. And you've, you've just been gone. Maybe you've been posting photos of stuff, but um, most of the time you've just been, you're just invisible for a year and then you just reappear like nothing happened. Yeah, and um, it's always weird see... coming back because I think like you've probably changed so much, but everything else is just the same back home. Yeah, it's weird. It's strange to come back. Like I woke up the day after and was like, it was like I almost never left. Um, but I don't feel that different. I just feel like, I don't know, I'm still processing everything. It's a really strange one to to just be continuously moving for over a year and then to come back home, um, not having had any reference to what normal life is for a year. Yeah, definitely. Now, on the Storytime for Travellers podcast, we ask all of our guests to tell us about a pinch me moment. So this is a tiny moment in your trip where you look around and just think, wow, I can't believe I'm here and I can't believe I'm seeing this. So can you tell us about a pinch me moment in your trip? Yeah, so this one's from the Himalayas as well. Um, so we'd, we'd ridden up all the high roads and we were actually riding back um, down through the Himalayas. And the Himalayas is somewhere that if I could only ever do one bike trip again, I would go back there. It was absolutely stunning and changes so much. It's so varied. Um, and just the scale of it is just enormous. So we are riding back down and we've probably been in the Himalayas for maybe a week, maybe a bit more at this time. Um, and there's this one tiny road, which is about one car lane wide. And all of these trucks are trying to get around each other and overtake each other down this mountain with like a thousand foot drop on one side. Um, and it was it was just so intense and the whole day you're getting more and more worked up and more and more stressed and more and more just focused on staying alive. Um, and the guy that I was riding with in the Himalayas, he was he carried on and kind of just battling through the traffic and I just stopped, pulled up on the side of the road and sat back for a bit and waited for the trucks to clear. Um, and everything kind of went quiet as the as the trucks went around the corner of a mountain and I looked up and there was this massive bearded vulture which has got this amazing golden neck and stomach 
just circling above and these gorgeous green mountains with the snow melting and rivers starting to form at the bottom. And uh, yeah, that was amazing. That was the first time I kind of realized that I'd just ridden a motorbike from England to the highest roads in the world and was in this incredible place. And yeah, really, really thankful to be there at that point. Wow, that sounds magical. It's it's funny because a lot of people's pinch me moments are when they just stop on their own and look around at nature and kind of the like they realize where they are and how they've got themselves there so yeah that's definitely one of them that's amazing um I also wanted to ask you about times when things went wrong so did you ever end up in any like scary situations or did you have any close calls along the way yeah, um, I had a lot of close calls um, between crashing the bike off-road and on-road. Um, I hit a man in Pakistan. He walked out in the road, uh, in Iran, sorry. He walked out in the road. Oh, my gosh, was he um, okay? What's that story? Yeah, he was, was fine. He, he did more damage to my bike than the bike did to him. Oh um, I was coming over a crossroads, and, um, yeah, the car in front of me swerved out of the way, and he was walking across the road on his phone. Um, yeah. Uh, ran away from the police in Honduras or like rode away from the police in Honduras um, just because I was riding with these guys they were escorting me from the border to the capital city because it's a bit of a sketchy place um, and they were all going like 80 miles an hour maybe maybe a bit more the whole time on these back roads overtaking police cars mm. and I was like how why are the police cars not bothered and then we overtook like a fourth police car and like all the lights went up and it started chasing and I was like, oh, great. Now we're gonna all going to have to pay bribes. Oh, but they no. all just floored it. And I was like, OK, I guess I guess <laughs> we're not stopping. Um, stayed in a prison in Pakistan. OK, tell uh, us that story. How did you end up in a prison in Pakistan? So it was for my own safety. Um, you have to be escorted by armed police through the whole first region of Pakistan, which is uh, called Baluchistan. And the government um, made it the law that every tourist or person not from that region has to have the armed escort. So when you cross the border, there's they have these basically like outposts and they'll drive you from one outpost to the next and then they'll swap over with another team and they'll drive you from one outpost to the next. And um, I crossed over the border late because of um, some religious holidays. So we didn't make it to the capital city, which is the only place with a hotel or hostel that you can stay at because they have to have a very specific license to be able to have tourists. Um, so we got to this little town called Dalbandin and they were like, OK, so this is where you're staying and took me to the prison. And that was the only place that was secure enough for for a tourist to stay. Oh so I got gosh. introduced to all the prisoners and then um, slept on the roof. Well, okay, that's a pretty surreal experience. So what was the prison like? Like, <laughs> It was really small. Um, so it's just like a square kind of walled, kind of like a wall with uh, little lookouts on it and then just a courtyard in the middle and then rooms um, inside the kind of outer wall. And then in the back left corner was the prison cells and that was like within another cage um, but yeah, it was weird. It's kind of exactly how you imagine a desert prison to be, I think. Yeah, that's, that's, I don't think many people can say that they've stayed in a prison for their own safety. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really cool claim. 
Um, so talking of cool things, but on the positive note, what's something really cool that you got to do or see that you'll kind of remember forever? Like something I ne- wasn't necessarily sure that I was going to do or haven't done before um, was I had to get a boat from Panama uh, from Colombia to Panama. Um, so like we load the bike on the boat. And then you're at sea for like four or five days and you ride through the San Blas Islands um, in the Caribbean, which are just gorgeous. And I got to snorkel there in a coral reef for the first time and swim. There was a couple of sharks and turtles and um, you go out with the local tribe people and they catch the rock lobsters. And yeah, that was a really special experience. Um, But I'd say just all of the shared experiences that I've had with people along the way, um, whether it's meeting complete strangers and just having a conversation or spending a day or two with someone and them showing you their favorite places to ride or the most beautiful spots around. Um, yeah, all of those, they rack up pretty quickly and they're all all in my top, um, top moments of the trip. Definitely. It's sometimes hard to kind of pick them out, especially because you did such a big adventure and it was a whole year. But I do completely see what you mean when it's the kind of the people that make the experience and the people that you meet along the way. Um, So I think you probably had quite a unique experience because you were on a motorbike. So why motorbikes? What got you into doing motorbike adventures? Um, I'd always loved motorbikes. I didn't start riding until I was about 19. Um, just because of like my, my situation really didn't allow for it and the licensing laws in the UK are quite restrictive. Um, so I got my license and I sold my first car to buy my first bike and I've ridden every day since then. Um, I wanted to do smaller trips like a couple of weeks or a couple of months maybe uh, and I've been planning all of these different different mini adventures. They never really happened because I was working so much. I was working like 60 or 70 hour weeks um, and I, a lot of my work was freelance, so I couldn't take the time off to do the, the traveling. So I was sat at work, started up my computer, and an article about this guy called Kane Avellano came up. And he's the guy that previously held the record for the youngest person to ride a motorbike around the world. Um, and I was reading through that, and I'd seen bits of his trip before, seen some photos from his trip, but never realized uh, how old he was. So I read the article, saw his age, realized I could beat it and just decided that that was the only way that I was going to be able to do any kind of big motorcycle trip. Uh, So I made the decision right there. I turned to my mate Glenn at work and was like, I'm going to do this and I think I'm going to try and leave in 11 months and um, break the world record. So that's what I did. Yeah, so that was the one moment that you actually decided to do it. That's amazing. Yeah, I'd wanted to do like bits of travel. I'd always wanted to travel and I'd always loved motorbikes. So it was a great combination, but I'd never really been into um, adventure motorcycling before. Um, I kind of came from the custom bike scene. So um, it was just something that kind of happened. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, Now, also, let's talk about Movember. So why did you choose to support this charity and what do they mean to you? So I had my own issues with mental health since I was about 14, um, mainly depression and anxiety, and lost a huge amount of people to suicide. So I can relate to their causes, um, specifically mental health and suicide prevention, and felt that I could talk about that with some authority. Um, I'd 
been aware of them for a while. They run an event, or they're they're the charity partner for an event called the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride, which happens in over 100 countries every year. And people basically dress up in suits and ride motorcycles around the city. Um, So I'd done the London one for about three or four years. Um, There's over 2,000 bikes that take part in that every year, which is crazy. Um, So when I decided to do the trip, that was just the obvious choice for me. I knew straight away that I wanted to raise money for them. And I emailed them. And I uh, went for a meeting with them and then they helped kind of every step along the way. Um, but it's been great to be able to talk about my mental health and listen to other people's stories. And this, um, for me, motorcycle is a big form of therapy and it was really uh, interesting to see that that's the same for a lot of other people as well. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. And great to be able to raise awareness for something, for an issue in the charity while you're doing something so amazing and such a big adventure and your moustache is very impressive (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was something that I kind of got peer pressured into um and now I don't feel like I can get rid of it yeah I was gonna say you're gonna keep it or (laughs) I don't know we'll see um but yeah they've they've been great and it's it's a great cause and um I've raised about ten thousand pounds for them so far this year um so yeah, I got T-shirts for sale on my website, and if anyone wants to check out the charity and make a donation to them, there's loads of information on my website and their website as well. So brilliant! Well, it's such a great thing that you're doing. Um, we're running out of time, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Henry. It's been amazing to speak to you, and I've loved hearing your stories. Thanks for having me. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Henry. If you want to donate, you can find all the information you need on Henry's website, which is www.35,000miles.com. That's the numbers, 35,000, not the words. <laughs> you can also follow him on Instagram at Henry Crew, where there are some incredible photos from his trip. And don't forget, you can find us on Instagram at Storytime for Travellers, and we would love it if you got in touch. As you know, this is a brand new podcast, and it's all about us sharing our stories and our love of travel. So I'm super happy that you're listening, and your support means a lot. I would love it if you could subscribe and leave a review. It makes a huge difference to get the word out. Next week, I'll be chatting to polar explorer Eric Larson, a man who's spent more time in the North and South Pole than any American in history. I can't wait for you to hear it. Speak then. <laughs>